0: And welcome once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Predestination is a tough topic in Christian circles, but it's a biblical concept that we need to understand in a biblical way. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Romans 8, trusting in God's sovereignty, with the seventh part of this message entitled "All Things," which covers Romans chapter 8 verses 28 to 30. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, we we think about treasures and the very
1: word says, oh, I want treasures. Well, there's a, a sense of truth to that, but the reality is that there are treasures we want and there are treasures we don't want. There really are both. Uh, A treasure might be uh, very valuable, such as discipline for children. Uh, Children are getting a treasure when they're disciplined. Do they want that treasure? No, they don't want the treasure. And the list goes on and on. But, you know, the same is true uh, about the truths of God's treasure, life treasures that are found in God's Word. They're truth treasures that just, they bless our life. And certain ones of those treasures, we identify and we say, oh, I love those treasures. But if we're honest, we'll look at them and say, I don't even think that's a treasure, though it is. And we say, I certainly don't want it. And the reason might well be because, well, I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me or maybe better yet. Hey, I've read that. I've seen what it says there, but it just doesn't seem fair. And therefore, I don't want it. I don't like it. Just don't give it to me. I've been asked, I don't know how many times over the last years of of, of ministry from younger pastors. And the question seems to be, what have you seen change in the history of church since pastoring 42 years ago until now? What, what, What have been the differences? And for years now, I've given the exact same answer because it is the biggest thing I've seen that's changed. May have shared it before with some of you, but here it is. When we came here in the mid-70s, in the body of Christ, our needs and our wants were so close. Something has changed. It used to be if we needed it, we wanted it. If we wanted it, that's kind of what we needed in terms of church. Now it's this far apart. What we need, most people don't want. What we want, most people don't need. That's the challenge for pastors today. In light of that, we're looking at a text today that is a truth that is truly treasure. We're in a series, if you're new with us, it's the seventh of a nine-week teaching. And this is dealing, and particularly this week, with some treasure that a lot of Christians would say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, don't want it. I happened to lean over to Carol, not thinking that I would even share this, but just a while ago, I looked over, and I I looked and panned across and saw all the people here, and I said, Carol, can you believe this many people are going to come and hear about predestination? Well, there is some wanted treasure here. It's in verse 28 of our text. There's some not-so-wanted treasure of truth that many Christians say, don't even talk about that. I don't agree. But it's found in the 29th and 30th verse. Let's look at the treasure that's wanted. The first verse, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, who doesn't want that? But now we come to 29 and 30, and it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that we would be... Uh, so that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. Verse 30, And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the unwanted part. Well, are you telling me that God predestines people and then he, uh, well, you think you believe that? You know, being a, a Presbyterian pastor, I've had so many people through the years who have asked. Now you, pastor, yeah, what kind of church is it? I said, well, it's a it's a Christian church. What kind of Christian church? Well, it believes in the Bible. Well, what's the denomination? Wait, what kind? All right, we're Presbyterian. (gasps) You're Presbyterian? Oh, you're the guys that believe in predestination. Yeah, we do. And right then, you can just see, mm -mm, you're not the good guys. You believe in that stuff. I've been using this outline. I've been using this outline, and I hope you'll continue to glance over it because it really helps you kind of put everything together. Uh, you can see a check about each subject that we've already looked at, and this is particularly for you that are new among us. Uh, very important each of these subject matters. But I want to kind of frame it a little differently just for a little variety here. Uh, And I'd like to kind of tell the same thing through three observations regarding our text. The first one, the first observation really is a summation of the the good news that uh, we call treasures we want. And then number two uh, summarizes the second, which would be the treasures that many don't want. I know many of you do here want these treasures. And then a third. So let's look at those very quickly. Number one, and these are all on PDF if you want to, you don't have to feel like you got to write them down because it'll go too fast. But just to give you the bigger framework, God has a perfect plan for his people, which includes working all things together for good in their lives. There's verse 28. Number two, fully embracing the belief that all things work together for good presupposes an acceptance of the infallible process described in verses 29 and 30. Now, that's what we've been calling, if you're new among us, the golden chain of salvation. It has five links. They're all covered in the 29th verse and 30th that we just read, beginning with foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and then glorification. Now, we have already covered the first. My last message here two weeks ago, we covered the first of that chain. Uh, then this week, we're going to cover the next two, predestination and calling. What I'm going to say about calling will only take literally a couple of minutes. Most of it will be focused on predestination. Then we'll come back next week, and we'll pick up with the next on the chain, the next two on the chain as we have here. Let's look at number three. Number three says the five links of the golden chain can be understood only in light of the biblical teaching regarding God's sovereignty, man's free will, and man's fall. And if you'll hold this up, I really think that the, the misunderstanding and the challenge that Christians today are fighting against uh, the topic of predestination, uh, the topic of, of, of uh, uh, foreknowledge, it really is in big, big, big part because there's not been teaching on God's sovereignty, man's free will, and man's fall. And I think those are so foundational for us. So Those foundations, let me just say, for you that are new, part of the series, I always want you to feel included. So what's the snapshot of of God's sovereignty, which means power and authority combined as it relates to God? We're talking about God as he determines or ordains whatsoever comes to pass, inclusive of all things. That's his sovereignty. If you hear that and you think fatalism, whatever's going to happen is going to happen then. It doesn't really matter. Who cares what we do? It's going to happen anyway. No, that is very, very atheistic. It takes the free will of man and strips it away. Anybody teaching God's sovereignty and saying there is no will of man, free will of man, that's not really a true sovereign God in your understanding of his work. Now, free will, that was the number two subject matter, free will, which is simply saying that man has freedom, has the freedom to do whatever he or she chooses to do. That's freedom. If I can do what I want to do, I'm free. Man has that freedom. But you've got to couple that with the next topic, and that is man's fall. And when we talk about the man's fall, we're talking about when Adam and Eve, our four parents, first sinned, that they were representatives. And we talked about this thing called corporate personality, that that God sees us all as a family, one person, as if we're one individual, and we're humanity. We have a representative, and that representative sin, therefore we're all sinners. We go, hey, that's not fair. How can that be? And we address that In fact, showing that not only is that not bad news, it's the greatest news because corporate personality is why we can actually be his children because there's a second Adam, Jesus, and when we come into his family, and any who choose to come into his family can come into the family. In doing so, you get the full righteousness of Christ. He treats us as if we're as righteous as his son. That's amazing. So... Very important to understand that. We did conclude that particular subject by making it clear. Remember, we're dead in our sin. And if we're dead in our sin, then we have no ability whatsoever. And there are people who are dead that just died that look very much alive. There are those who are dead that have died and have decayed much worse. These are the very, very, very evil people of history we think about and talk about. But we're all equally dead was the idea. Then we lastly, we turned into the subject matter of foreknowledge, the first in the golden chain. So we introduced this in the last message. There we said, make sure you know that foreknowledge is not God looking ahead, seeing what's going to happen, and therefore saying, well, I see he's going to choose me. I see she's going to choose me. Therefore, I will predestine them. It says nothing, this word has nothing to do with a, a type of mental alertness. It's the idea of love. It's to forelove Even as in the Old Testament, Abraham knew Sarah, which was simply he loved Sarah. So then we lastly, we looked at this thing, a hermeneutical principle, a long word for many in in theological terms. It's, It's simply talking about a principle of interpreting the Bible. That whenever you have various things linked together as we have in this chain of salvation, And not the word all or some is used. You have to imply one or the other, but you can only apply one through the whole chain. You can't mix and match. Assume some and then all and then all and then some. Not at all. And we argued, I think, very convincingly from Scripture that it cannot be some he foreknew, he predestined. You follow that, then keep in mind, some he justified go to heaven, but not all of them. Nobody wants to believe that. So we have to place all in there. That's going to come in very important when we look at what it means to be called. All are called. Now, with that, we now turn to two more links in this chain, and we're going to start with what I will call the mother of all controversial Bible topics. <laughs> predestination. That's the word found in verse 29 we just looked at. Now, I want to say a few words in teaching to you that are moving along in your faith, you're, you're, you're trying to address and understand more and more of the elements of Scripture. And so, just for a minute here, let me say these things about predestination, technically speaking, if you want to... Okay, let's be really fine-tuned on this thing. When we talk about predestination, we're not talking about uh, a choice of who is saved. That's what we always think about. He predestines, he I, I decide you will, I decide you and I decide you. That is not predestination. That's more what we've been talking about for loved, I for love you. And I for love you. And I for love you. And I know right now many particularly newcomers here say, what? Are you what are you talking about? Just hang on. Wait to the end. But really, it's foreknowledge, which is loving, that should probably cause the response of, whoa, 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 whoa. Because all this is, is, uh, when we're talking about predestination, we're talking about the destiny of those he foreloves. Meaning all he foreloves, here's the destiny, and that puts us being glorified with him forever and ever. So this is just the destiny to which those he loves. Now, I like the way John Piper puts it. He, a great theologian and a former pastor, he says: First, God chooses; that is, He unconditionally sets His favor on whom He will. Then, destines them for their glorious role in eternity. So that is technically the understanding. Now, foreknowledge is the forming of God's will in his mind. Predestination is the decreeing of that eternal will. Now, so let's dig a little deeper and let's say, well, what's the goal? Why is he doing this? He actually gives us the answer in this text in verses 29 and 30. And he gives it for two reasons. And I want you to hear these two reasons. I want you to hang on to this. Two reasons why he would for love why he would all he forelove predestine and call, justify and glorify for our good and for his glory. Remember, that's why God does this, that we're talking about chain of salvation. It's for our good and his glory. Here's the text. For our good, it says, to be conformed to the image of his son, who those that he foreloves, predestines, etc. He does that so that we might be conformed to the image of his son, so we share in the glory of the risen Jesus. What do you mean? I don't get that. Okay, talk, talk, talk. What are you talking about? Well, it means that we share morally with the risen Christ. We share. Okay, you get some. I get the same. We share. We get the perfect righteousness of Jesus. That's why he does this. Without this golden chain, we don't get to share in the righteousness of Jesus. Well, that's that's important. But there's another reason, and that's physically. Do you realize that we get to share in his glory, in the fact that we get a new, resurrected, perfect body. So it's morally and physically saying that one day we're going to all who are Christians, we're going to live on this earth, made new, but this earth, and we will be in new body even as Jesus was in a glorified body. We will have a glory. When? When Jesus comes back. Not till then. Doesn't happen the minute we die. But when Jesus comes back, we are going to share in both. That is good for all eternity. So he says, that's one reason that I have for love and so forth, because you wouldn't be able to do that without it. But there's a second reason and a far more important reason. That is for his glory. We share his glory so that he becomes, as one author writes, the greatest of the great. It's not just him there great, but now the glory that comes to him as the greatest of the great. We become as mirrors and we reflect and magnify the glory of Christ. And that is something that he is worthy of, as the text says, in order that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. So predestination secures what we what we need in order to be happy and to be holy. It secures also what he needs as it says to be glorified. Now I'm going to teach more on glorification next week. But it pretty much helps us understand that Christ is glorified in our glorification. And there would be no glorification without justification. There'll be no justification unless there's a calling. There's no calling unless there's predestination. If there's no predestination, there, uh, I mean, if, there, if there's no uh, for loving, there's no... Pre- so that's why this chain is there for us to understand this describes why we can be a happy and holy people and that our God can be glorified through this process. Now, having just taught it now as there's a teaching about this subject matter as briefly and concisely as I could make it, I, I want to make it a practical teaching, so let's apply it to a few questions that all of us must be asking, at least most of us. Number one question would be this. If God's choice is not based on his foresight of man's choice, does this mean that God destined some people to hell? Uh, that's kind of a A tricky thing. Now, God ordains whatsoever comes to pass, no doubt. But as we're talking about this idea of predestining, go back to this idea, without foreknowledge, without forelove, all people are destined to hell. It's the consequence of our sin. And so we destine ourselves there uh, well, however you want, and you can, that's a tricky way of, of, the, uh, of just trying to say it, but let me just make it clear that whatever God has done in this process, he never creates a work of disbelief in anyone. There would never be a time that somebody would stand before God at death and say, oh God, I wanted you, not just the things you had to offer, I wanted you and I, and I searched for you, and I begged for you, and I asked for you. But I realize now I wasn't, I wasn't foreloved. Therefore, I was not predestined to be in heaven. And therefore, I'll never experience true, true, true glory. That's not going to ever happen. It's just not going to happen. You've misunderstood the whole idea, if that be the case. You have to go back to the teaching on the fall that we had several weeks ago. Now, at the end of my last message, I gave a homework assignment. I'm a realist. I've been around here a while. What percentage would you think actually took the homework assignment of reading Romans 9? Uh, those that are optimistic, 3%? I don't know. Maybe I'm underestimating, but I bet most go, oh, I, I thought I might do that, or well, I never even thought about doing it. But I did it. a reason. I said, I I would rather wait till you'd had the foundation laid before you start reading the scripture with this subject matter in mind. So I'm going to read it now. This one is a challenging one. This is how it reads though. Verses 10 through 18 of Romans 9. Challenging, but beautiful. Not only this, But there was Rebecca also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born, had not done anything good or bad so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. That is not because of works, of anything they've done, but because of him who calls, which is in our golden chain. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, I can't go any further. You read that and you go, is that the way God is? This is a term of comparison. Compared to love, what happened for Jacob, it is, would be as if hate, but it's not. I will teach and believe thoroughly that God loves all people. Love is God giving us what we don't deserve. He gives us all common grace, uh, whether it be rain, whether it be the health, whatever it is that we have, that's common. That's grace. He loves all. But there was a different love here. It's special. It's called a special grace, a type of grace that four loves, leading to the other portions of the chain that follow. And so we need to understand what that means when it says that. But look at verse 14. It's like even after saying that, Paul knows, oh, I know what you're going to be thinking. This is not fair. This is not just. God shouldn't do that. How could he do it? And so verse 14 says, what shall we say then? He knows we're thinking injustice. There is no injustice with God, is there? And this term may it never be. uh, That just doesn't say it well because this is a hard term. It would be like saying, God forbid, no, 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 no. It's really strong. He said, no, that's not it at all. And then he comes right back in verse 15. He says, for he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, for this purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires. And then it says, and he hardens whom he desires. Now, just a word about that hardening. We read that and we say, well, here is a man, Pharaoh, bless his heart. He, he really wanted to do the right thing, but God took his heart and just made it hard. No. This is a passive hardening. It's not not active, it's passive. And so, I, I like the idea of concrete. You take concrete and you mix it with water. And then you begin to stir it. You keep adding water and you keep stirring it. It'll stay pliable as long as you're adding water and you're stirring it. In this illustration, God is the one who's watering with his common grace. And he's stirring by his own will to give and to keep doing this. And it it keeps the heart pliable. If God were to simply stop doing anything with fallen man, oh, the wickedness, the hardness of the heart, it just gets settled and it stops. That explains why Pharaoh, you say, how stupid was Pharaoh? I mean, three plagues, okay, maybe, maybe, but nine plagues, ten plagues, and you still don't get it? What in the world? We can't imagine what would happen to us if God were to take his grace and just pull that grace away, that common grace. We would all be as hideous and as vulgar and as evil and as wicked as the worst you can think about. That's God's common grace. That's what's really talked about what's happening in Romans chapter one, the natural progression of what happens but he doesn't stop there. He, he kind of keeps going, you know. He, he doesn't stop with that. Look at verses 19 through 24. He says, you will say to me then. I mean, He knows what we're thinking when we read this, which means we're reading it right. He says, why does he still find fault? If he has mercy on whom he has mercy, and so on, why does he find fault? For who resists his will? Now, wouldn't you love him now to say, well, let me give you three good reasons. Instead, this is what he says. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for common use? Isn't that his right? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did, he, did so not, oh, he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, there it is, not from among Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. This is the passage I was referring to early in the series that when I read it as a new Christian, it so grieved me. I was so upset. I just couldn't get it. This is the God that I just gave my life to? And he's going to do stuff like this? How am I going to love him? Went to my parents and they said, go see the preacher, in a liberal church. I go to the preacher and I said, what do you say about Romans 9? He said, I don't know, but I know this. It doesn't mean what it appears to be saying. And then that's when he said, I tore that page out of my Bible. I, I said, that's not good enough. But I'll tell you this. It caused me to want to figure this out and to search it. And I felt in a sense it was like going to these doors like a Narnia out there. And I hated it. I don't want it. I don't like it. And then the door opened. And I go, wow. This is the love of God for me? That's a difference maker. So, number two question. If God's choice is not based on his foresight of man's choice, upon what is his choice based? I think we see the answer in verses 3 through 6 of Ephesians 1. It reads like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every spirit, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Now look at this. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. There's your answer. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And so what he's saying is, you want to know the answer to that question? The kind intention of his will. And say, well, that didn't give me a full enough explanation. But what about the people he didn't? What about? You remember? Mystery. This is mystery to us. We're the creation. Well, we do know this choice was not arbitrary. It was not, oh, how about you, 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 you? you? No. It's not because of anything we've done, anything found in us. It's totally unconditional. But it leads us now to calling, the next link of the chain. It won't take but just a couple of minutes. Let's answer two questions. The first question is, who gets this call? Well, because of our hermeneutical principle, all or some, if you want to believe it has to be all, which I have to think you would agree that all who are justified are glorified, therefore all, 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 everywhere. All who are called, they get justified. So we know what it's not from that. Who is it that gets called? It's Or, or, or uh, who gets the call? It's believers who get the call. Those who have been for loved, Those who have been uh, truly predestined. It's, as it says in Galatians 1, 15 and 16, it says, but when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Called, then look what happens, he believes. And so the second question, so what is the call? The call is simply a inward call. It's not the outward call, like, okay, would you like to have Jesus? Would you like to have Jesus? Be like calling, you know, a dog. Hey, Macy, come here, come here, Macy. Oop, Macy didn't come. Come here, Macy, come here. Macy comes. No, it's not that. It's an inward call that brings death to life. It's an inward call that has the power to perform whatever it commands. This is the grace of God to give a call to us. This is what regeneration is all about that calls a dead person, dead in their sin, to come alive. It's what we would find in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24 when it says, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called. Now, it's not foolishness to the called. Whether Jews or Greeks, it's Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God that ends the teaching on these two. I cannot tell you how disappointed I am not to have any more controversial things to talk about. (laughs) Next week, it's justification and glorification. We're out of the realm of controversy and, for the most part, mystery. I think now would be a good time to contrast two theologies that you're familiar probably with one already, and now you've been made exposed to another. The first one that I'm going to call is a more modern one. I, I, would, I think of it as a myth. There's a second that I'm going to call a historic one. I would call it a mystery. Here's my definition of the two. First, the modern-day popular theology, we have the power of ultimate self-determination And are thus accountable for our choices. That's good. We are accountable for our choices. We would agree with that. Most people say, well, of course we have ultimate self determination. It's based on what I choose, what I want, what I, you know. Well, then we see in contrast that the historic biblical theology, in my opinion, as spiritually dead people, we have no power of self determination. And because we're responsible for our spiritual death, We are thus responsible for our choices. Acts 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. It's been left with a lot of mystery, hasn't it? A lot of things we won't understand. So if controversial... Why do we teach this? Every week, I've stopped talking to my youngest son after, after we left here, the first service. And, uh, and he said, Dad, thanks for adding that ending. He talked about the ending that you do each week. And I made the response, I said, you know, if, if people hear the theology, whether it be as true as it can be, unless they see, how does that really apply to me? And so let me take one more little swipe at this. See, how we think about ourselves dramatically impacts how we live. It really does. Uh, our daily dispositions, our personal relationships, our, our um, vocational uh, potential, and this just goes on and on and on. At the same time, nothing confirms a healthy self-esteem more than experiencing unconditional love. Put somebody, a little child in a family that has no idea of unconditional love. Now, you achieve that, and I'll be good to you, boy. If you do this, I'll hug you. If you do that, if you don't don't succeed, man, I'm going to whip you, boy. And it goes on and on. And and there's some of you that hear that, and you cringe because that is your experience. And you know the obstacles you faced in life. Having parents that never loved you unconditionally. Though my parents were not Christians as I was coming up as a child, somehow they seemed to get unconditional love. I never, never, never questioned. Man, I was told, I love you, son. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And the hugs and the, and I would mess up and do bad and that's okay. It'll be another time. Let's work on this better. Come on. You you know, it's okay. I just knew I was loved. What a difference that made for me in life. Oh, I wish I'd had a spiritual influence in my life growing up. But at least, thank God, there was unconditional love, an environment of unconditional love. Having said that, it's my opinion, there is no greater, no better teaching to convince us of unconditional love than this golden chain of salvation. The fact that God would love me when I didn't even exist before he formed me and shaped me. And he chose to do that based on nothing good that I could do. That's unconditional love. See, this is the true heart of the gospel. It's what he has done for us. And that's what happened when I explained, I go to this door and it's like Narnia. Ah, look at the unconditional love. So folks, seeker and Christian light, you keep looking at the unconditional love of Jesus. And all you got to do is look at the cross and see what he did. When you understand all of this beyond, oh, my goodness, keep going to the cross. Keep understanding this unconditional love. That's what's going to let you see yourself as the beloved. And so, two things. I'm going to suggest, I'm going to say these two things, and maybe this puts it in perspective as best I can. One is for you that have been here through the whole series. If you're new to this series, my apologies, I won't explain. But you that have been, you will know. Do not forget dot. You remember dot? You remember the board? The whiteboard? The dot? We're dot. And so you look at these theologies, and you have to figure out, Which is right? Which do you believe is biblical? So number two, I'm going to say this. Remember dot, number two, remember, I've said it over and over again. I'll say it again before the series is over. I may be wrong. This teaching may not be accurate. There are other Christians that believe otherwise. Good Christians. But at least now, you know both stories. You don't just know the popular modern one, You've heard the not-so-popular historical one. And I only beg you, as I'll do again in the next few weeks, I beg you, you pick the one you think you see in Scripture, not the one that comes closest to dot. Always keep that in mind. And we've still got some pretty good stuff to be covering these next two weeks because we got to talk about, okay, how do you know if you are for loved? How do you know if you're called? How do you know? And then we're going to need to answer questions like this. Well, if, if God is already foreloved or not or whatever, whatever, what difference does it make if we evangelize people? What difference does it make if he's sovereign and not determined? What difference does it make if we pray? So there's some very important things we need to make sure we cover. But let's remember, go back to the cross. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this unconditional love, your goodness to us. And we pray that we might fall more in love with you because we've seen how loved we are, that we might become secure, even without family, perhaps, to unconditionally love, to know that we have you, our God, loving us that way. Thank you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia.